welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. I was thinking about a lot this week about what it means to be the church. And like we are a family, we're the bride of Christ, we are um, a household of God, we are the new temple, Um, we are God's strategy for the renewal of the cosmos. Like we are, we are through the power of the Holy Spirit, God is filling all of creation through us. It's a really big deal. And then I, and then I kind of started tripping out over like the precepts and like expectations of what this gathering is. I'm like, why is it like, why do we do worship this way? Like, why is there a sermon that's like 40 minutes ish? You know, like, why do we do, do things the way we do? I get into this like existential crisis. Like what, you know, what are we doing? Um, and, And so anyway, so in the midst of all of that today is going to be like a very unique Sunday. Um, Cause I have a huge announcement to make. Um, so I'm excited to share that. But, but also with this announcement, I, I want to name something that's going on. Um, and, and I think part of the role is to articulate what God is doing. Um, and that can be challenging. So uh, we start off the series with this Isaiah passage, verse 43. It says, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 43, verse 18. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. There's been a lot of prophetic conversation this year. We knew when we started this year, this was going to be a special year for lots of reasons. We we anticipated it. Um, There were tons of prophetic words that came out, but one unique prophetic word came from Chris Vallotton, who was here when we hosted Empowered. Now, I actually wanted, uh, Haley, would you guys welcome Haley? She's going to read a word from Chris. Um, You can do better. Um, Haley's just going to read a word that Chris gave us, and we'll talk about one of the roles we have, one of the things we believe, we believe in the prophetic, the prophetic ministry, that God uses people to speak to us, foretelling truth and, and speak God's truth in the moment. And as a leadership team, we, we discern, we test, we question, we hold space for these things. But this is a word that I wanted to share before we begin this Sunday. So uh, go ahead, Haley, why don't you read it? Um, so yeah, just even a little bit more context, um, a few weeks ago at our pre-service, or not pre-service, but Tuesday morning prayer, I felt like God brought up this word to remind myself and re-receive this word, um, but also to share with the community and um, the people who are in that room and also you guys today. So, hey. Um, okay. I believe that this church is in a dramatic epoch shift and, I, and that it's going to look a lot different. I want to warn you, discomfort is coming for the next year. And if you're the kind of person who gets comfort in the idea that you're in control, you're going to be really uncomfortable. If you love the repetitive way of living, if you love predictability, you're going to be very uncomfortable. Because I believe you're going to be in a huge shift, and I believe that all things work together for good. And this shift is going to make you famous. And I believe that this place is going to become an eagle's nest, where young prophetic people come here and they get trained, equipped, and deployed. And I believe that there's going to be a huge shift in your church, And this church is going to become an apostolic, prophetic church, and it's going to grow. It's going to be a mega church, but not because of how many people gather so much, but as the impact this church is going to have. First in California, 
And I believe that God is going to shake the nations through this church. I think everyone in this room, everyone in this room is going to be a part of it. Thank you. So um, we want to we want to hold space for words that we received, and we're we're collecting these. I mean, my wife and I moved here because God spoke to us about moving to Long Beach 14 years ago. And it was her and I and a couple of people, and we were driving back after telling all of our leaders we weren't going to plant a church um, because of a heart condition that she had, and we were just terrified. We were 23 and 22 years old. And on the way back, driving down 7th Street, we lived in Costa Mesa at the time, we were driving back towards uh, our house, and I heard as clear as day the Lord say, you got to move to Long Beach. And I was like, okay, that's great, but you got to tell Alex. Um, <laughs> Literally, in my head, I'm having this dialogue. And without missing a beat, she turns to me in fear. She's like, we have to move to Long Beach. And it was just this moment. And she will go on to say that it was scarier for her to live outside of what God's will was than it was to move to Long Beach. Um, And I think that's important because our whole journey has been marked by obedience. Like the whole Christian faith is hearing and obeying. That's it. And if there's anything you learn from us, it's that. A couple weeks ago, Bill was talking, and in the beginning of his sermon, he, he had this thing where he talked about, from John chapter 3, like the Spirit's moving. And, and for Bill to say to our church, if you know Bill, that he could see the effects of the Spirit moving our church, it's a really big deal. If you know Bill at all, he, he is a pastor, he is a stay the course, don't move, won't, won't affirm much. <clears throat> and he, he shared this text, and, and I'm going to read it. It's, it's from John chapter 3, verse 5. It says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. The point I'm making with this is, over this last year, I have witnessed the effects of the Spirit. I've seen, the, as Bill would say, the, the, the leaves shaking in different parts of our community. And it, it is a unique year. It has been a unique year. I've been trying to identify, like, when did this begin? We knew leading up to this year, it was going to be different. We knew. We said we're getting off social media because and it was, that was a symbol of us focusing in on what God was doing as a church. We knew that he was preparing something. And what began for us was uh, Sunday, Sundays we gathered, we started regathering. We were doing one service because we felt like God wanted to do something unique in our community for one service for a season, even though we need two. We need two for volunteer reasons. We need two for the volunteers not to miss out on this because everyone that serves in kids and youth misses out on this. They sacrifice. But what you see over and over again is when there's sacrifice, God's glory shows up. The greater the sacrifice, oftentimes the greater the visitation. And what began with worship, we, we began to experience this thing in worship. And I have no... No way, I don't have language to articulate. Something started happening in January last, this, this year. 
that worship began to express something that was new. It was like this hunger for his presence, this longing for his presence. We began to reorganize our leadership team around what God was doing. We created a core leadership team. We brought uh, staff members into an eldership meeting. We started meeting regularly to build culture. We started um, challenging unhealthy things that were in our staff and leadership. We began to build this expectation of a supernatural culture in our leadership. Staff began to take ownership. What happened in our leadership meetings is we began to repent over and over again. We just come together and share stories and testimonies of what God was doing in our lives and in our church with all the areas we began to lead. And what happened was we began to repent We began to ask for more of God. We started doing this, um, getting on our knees. We fasted, we prayed, we reorganized. We started a Tuesday morning prayer service, a prayer gathering. We started a pre-service prayer and it changed what we were doing. We also changed the bar for what it means to be a leader at the garden. At the beginning of this year, I said, I have some convictions about what we call leadership. Coming out of a season where church was online, I, I started thinking, you know, there's a lot, of qualifications for leadership in the church, in the Bible. And we said, hey, if you want to be a leader, we, we want to see you be free for over a year from any addiction. So we said, if you haven't been freed from addiction of any kind, we want to ask you to step aside for leadership. We're calling our leadership to consecration. If you're on stage, our worship team, they, they said if to, be, to be a worship leader, you need to be a consecrated leader and you need to be walking towards generosity. We ask all of our leaders to tithe at least 10%. This is what we've called our church and you're like, oh, this, that's interesting. It sounds religious. No, we're, we're recognizing that in order for us to move forward, God was expecting things from us. Now, the reality is we see this throughout history. When God begins to move, he begins to speak to individuals and communities about the the things he desires for larger nations. In the beginning of this year, when we started, I felt like the Lord say, go back to the prophetic words I gave you. And I was like, okay, I don't really know what that means. Um, But there was one particular passage where I knew God God spoke to me in the past about. He's like, this is for your church in this season. And so I went back and I preached tonight at the beginning of this year. Anyone remember what I preached on at the beginning of this year? I didn't think so. Okay. They're like, no, but I know what Bill preached on. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) No, yeah, that was one of them. Gideon was, look at you, Susie. Come on. Um, But it was the other one, Joshua. (laughs) But there there were two, and that was one of them. That was one of them. Joshua chapter 3, it says this. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to people, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the Ark. Do not go near it. So Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. This set us up this year. We knew this was going to be a unique year. And there were three things that I felt the Lord wanted us to know as a church. Number one was he was going to disrupt comforts to reestablish our convictions. That as a people of God, we had to recognize that he was going to disrupt things in our community, in our lives, to reestablish our convictions as a community. Because when we are comfortable, we often forget who we are. 
when we're comfortable, comforts can lead to micro compromises, which led to the second thing, which was to repent from compromise and to pursue consecration. And this word is what set us and our leadership team on this journey towards consecration and holiness. That word consecrate means to make holy, to set something apart for God's special purposes. I have a bunch of quotes, but I don't want to go into it right now. I love this quote from A.W. Tozer, though. He says, every man is as holy as he really wants to be. And we begin to ask the question, what brings spiritual death? What is it? What, what do I give my, uh, I, I, we begin to ask this question. Um, I have it somewhere in my notes. Or maybe it's, do I, did I send it? Can you put it up the next slide? Do I have another slide? Is it not point three? Okay, forget it. I, I changed my notes. There you go. Uh, the question I was, I was asking is, when we, when, we, when we think about the things in our lives that bring spiritual death, death is there anything that I touch, that I, that I look at, that I bring attention to, that brings spiritual death in my life. And our leaders begin to examine themselves. And from that, we begin to repent and we begin to see the things that God's doing. And I still feel more than ever that the American church has accommodated to culture. We've allowed culture to impact our church with some kind of lukewarm spirituality. And we've we've hidden this lukewarm spirituality with this desire to be relevant and comfortable and safe. Instead of passionate zeal for God, We've allowed the world to influence the way we live. We look, we act, we talk, we think, and we relate to the world around us like everyone else. But the world is drowning in moral decay. And Christians are part of the problem, and we need to wake up. We need to be people who are consecrated, standing on dry ground, pulling people out of the water. God was going to stir things up. He's going to disrupt comforts. We knew he was calling us to consecration. The third thing is that he was calling us to live with renewed faith and to step out and risk. This is the most uncomfortable thing. Because faith, we always say, according to John Wimber, is spelled R-I-S-K. It's never comfortable to be a Christian. But it seems like we've made an entire industry that makes it comfortable to be Christian. And you wonder why people are leaving the faith because we don't look different. There's no need to prove anything to the world. We don't even care that people are dying without Jesus. That communities are lost, that the next generation is leaving the faith like never before. Over a million people a year leave the faith that grew up in the church. The numbers are not 87%. It's over 90-something percent of those that grow up in youth group will not be a Christian after 18. We're like, oh, that's someone else's body. It's on us. It's going to require faith. It's going to require the kind of passion to live for something bigger. And this is what I, I, I believe. I believe God is calling us to step in. I love the Joshua story because the faith that's required, I love it. It's like the instruction is you're going to go. You're going to see the presence of God move in front of you, the ark. And it's going to go somewhere you've never been before. That's how you know you're supposed to go there. Okay, that's great instructions. Thank you so much. So our, our, but our task is not to know the why. It's just to know that the presence is moving on. And the whole, the whole formation of the people of God is to follow God's presence in obedience, no matter where. And in this case, it's to go across the Jordan. It's to go across the Jordan. They've done the Red Sea before, but now they have to go across the Jordan. And the instructions are, get into the river during flood season. Get into the river with the ark. 
It's not touch the water with your staff and stay dry. It's now faith requires you to get wet, to go where you don't want to go during flood season and trust the miracle will come. That's faith. Because if it was just the, the, the repeat of a previous move of God, it would just be the staff. But God doesn't want to repeat. He wants to know, if you follow the scriptures, he will, he will always put you in a position that requires you to, to trust that he will show up for the miracle. It wouldn't be trust or faith if you knew in that moment. It requires you to act. So, God's doing something in our church. All these things, all these words, all of this sense, we know that God's doing something. And and what I want to say is what we're stepping into will require an extraordinary amount of faith and risk from you. And it it will require your sacrifice like never before. And that's why I'm here to share. But before I announce the big news, I need to say that the news is just one of the things that God is doing. It is not the thing. I want you to hear that, okay? To, to say that this, this thing I'm about to announce is the thing, it's not. It's part of a bigger story. You guys with me on that? So, okay. So I'm so excited to announce that after three months of discernment, four months of working around the clock and negotiations, tomorrow morning we will secure a five-year lease to occupy our own church facility. To the king. (laughs) Right? It's a big deal. Now, I know you're excited, but I want to let you know something before I announce the details of this space. It's not in Long Beach. Yep. So it's, it's not far, but it's not in Long Beach. Now, before I give you the details of the location... I want, to, I want to share with you the context and story because for me, I want to show you um, the work, the, the homework, the details, the, the, the reason we've made this decision because it's not Darren and Alex making this decision. It's our elders. It's our core leadership. It's our staff. It's covenant friends that I have that are outside of the garden that are pastors in other contexts and apostles and prophets that have been discerning along the way. We are walking through an open door. This open door we've had to fight for. And over the last 13 years, we have been trying. Let me, I want to show you something um, that I just want to show you the history. Okay, so I'm going to give you a journey. Are Are you guys okay with this? Okay, here we go. So for the last 13 years as a church, we have tried to get 34 different locations. I want to give you a list. These are the ones I can. If, if you see LOI, it means a letter of intent, meaning that we've had lawyers, we've had uh, realtors, we've had a, uh, landlords negotiating with us for these spaces. So back in the day, 13 years ago, I tried to get a ballroom on Linden and Broadway. The space would have fit 50 people. Because back in the day, I had faith for 50. And I'm, I'm not kidding. Todd Proctor of Rock Harbor was like, Darren, you're thinking way too small. I'm like, no, Todd, if I could just have two services with 100 people, I would be so happy. I could not imagine 100 people at the Garden Church. I, could, I didn't think we were going to survive the first year. That's what, that's what you have to know. And I was talking to my mom, and it's so sweet. She was like, you got to remind the church where we started. We started in a moldy basement 
in, at First Christian Church. It, there was mold. I'm like, yes, you're right. We did start. In a, and then we moved to a cigar lounge with, with, where we had to take gargoyles off the walls. And, and, and we had to get industrial air purifiers for the kids' rooms. This is all true. We cleaned up beer bottles before. Setup was cleaning um, the, the mess of a nightclub before Sunday, night, Sunday morning service. Uh, and then we moved to the Seventh-day Adventist. And then we came here because we had nowhere else to go. And we've been here for nine years. But we've tried an empty building on Fifth and Pine, an old church, the old Z Gallery. We did a fundraiser at the old Z Gallery. Anyone here for that? Raise your hand. Yeah, remember that? We were going to have this awesome, it became this insane venue for weddings. It would have been awesome. But again, it didn't work out. Look at all these old church, a Cohiba. We tried to buy or lease the Cohiba nightclub. Yes. We also did a fundraiser for that. Anyone remember that fundraiser? Yep, you did that one. We, we tried to get all these old churches go to the next one. I just want, to, I want you to see, this has not been a, if you, if you have seen an empty warehouse, church, retail space, I have looked for it. I have walked it. I have called her. We have the president of Lee and Associates working with us because of uh, the president of Farmers and Merchants, Henry Walker, who goes to our church. He's been with us for 13 years trying to get us in a space. We've had resources, like, and I remember the president of Lean Associates, he was like, Darren, it is just really hard right now to get any space in Long Beach. I get it. So we've done all these spaces, retail spaces, old church on 4 or 5 in Westminster Boulevard. So what happened is during COVID, when we didn't gather for 14 months, our elders, we started saying, hey, we should look outside of the parameters. We, at first, it was like downtown Long Beach, and then it just kept growing, and then it was like all of Long Beach, and then... During COVID, we started looking in San Pedro. Anyone from San Pedro area, Lomita? We started looking in Downey, Bellflower, Garden Grove, Westminster, Huntington Beach, Seal Beach, uh, Lakewood. We've, we've literally looked in all these places. Look at this. So this is our, our leadership team that are mostly volunteers, our board of directors, volunteers. Um, my wife and I. We have tried to get a space. So I want you to see that this is not just, okay, we have a space. This has been perseverance. For what we can't do right now, we will be able to do seven days a week. And then um, there's some considerations I want you to think about. There are three major considerations we had to discern as a team uh, in regards to finding a space. The first is the total cost for renovation and occupying a space. What you need to know is to get into any space, we would have to spend anywhere from $75 to $100 per square foot to make the space uh, occupiable for a church. So depending on the size, we would have to raise $750,000 to $2 million just to make the space um, available for us as a church to use it as a church in the city if it wasn't already a church, okay? Does that make sense? So you're talking about fundraising, extraordinary, uh, uh, extraordinary amount of money for that. And churches do all the time. But that's not including sound equipment or chairs or anything we need for the kids or youth ministry. That's not including furnishings. So that's just one major consideration is it, it's expensive. The second, you need city permitting and, uh, and, and the timeline. So in order to get a space, 
it will require um, six to 12 months to get what's called a conditional use permit. I'm speaking Greek to you, I get it, okay? Um, it's called a CUP. I've learned this from the last 13 years, how to get into a space, because this is a major issue. We would go to spaces and the landlord would be like, no, we don't want you to make this an assembly use. So you couldn't even get in. Some places were like, maybe, but there would be a third issue, parking. Because in order to have a CUP, a conditional use permit, you have to have parking as a church. Does this all make sense? So these things are a big deal. So if we, let's say tomorrow we found a space in Long Beach that was 20,000 square feet, we'd have to renovate it. It would cost $100 a square foot. That's $2 million just to renovate. Then we'd have to get a CUP, which would take six to 12 months. So if we signed tomorrow, it would take a year just to get the permitting, let alone the construction. Are you guys with me on this? I know it's like all these details, but I want you to know how thoughtful we are in this. So the new location, this is what we, I'm going to give you the details. It will fit 350 adults in one service. It will fit 100 kids in a service. It has a kitchen. It has a fellowship hall. has over 500 parking spots, direct access. We'll have a 24-7. It already has a conditional use permit because it was already a church in a retail space. And the total cost for renovations and furnishings is going to be 400,000 total. How are we doing? Are you guys okay? Is anyone excited? Yeah. I'm so excited, but I've been wearing this for four months. And if you know me at all, I can't keep a secret. <laughs> so I need, a, I need a gold star for what I've done, but I told a lot of you already. <laughs> all right. So this space, God, this is going to empower our mission of God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It means that as a church, um, we are receiving uh, the, the cost of, of, of making it a church so we don't have to spend $2 million to renovate. It's already been done for us. We don't have to get a conditional use permit and do the, the construction timeline. The six to 12 months, it's been given to us. We're receiving the, the, the sacrifice of the previous church, the generosity of the previous church, the, the work and the, the, the working in the city from the previous church. This means we get to step into something new. Now, what I want to say is this is not the promised land. You have to hear me. We're not saying this is the, the last step. This is the next step. There will be another step in the future. And brothers and sisters, I want to say prophetically that we will have buildings at Garden Church. We will, we will have multiple locations in different counties as Garden Church in our future. I believe that with all my heart, that God is preparing a new thing. But with all of these factors, with all of our values as a church, we had to pray and process and ask the question, God, what are you doing? Is this where you're leading? And without question, God has spoken to our team. He's spoken to us through prayer and fasting and a process of discernment. We prayed, we asked the Lord, we, we had dreams, we had a sense of direction, we had peace, we listened to scripture, we uh, debated, we discussed, we spent hours and hours as a team going, are you moving us? And without question, he said, yes, he's moving us. This is God's journey for our church. This is a new season. This is a new thing for Garden Church. And I've asked the Lord, I asked the Lord, um, I'm going to tell you where it's at in just a second, so hold with me, okay? I know the tension. You're like, just tell me where it is. I can't. I got to show you the work. It's so important because I want you to know the integrity from which our team has made this decision. Because more than anything, the church fails because of its leadership. And I'm so proud of our leadership. 
But I needed to hear from God. This is, I, was, I, I was being eaten. I have Long Beach tattooed on my arm. So, so does half our staff. <laughs> it's like you guys are a weird cult. No, we're not. But I, I like, when you're making a, dis- I, I teach on how to hear God's voice. And I, 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 I had it out. I was so discouraged one day. I was like, I don't know. And everyone was like, yes. And I was like, I need to hear from you. And fi- I did meet with Jesus. And I'm saying this as a pastor. I went to the Lord and he showed up. And there are moments where most of the time I'm like, okay, yeah, I have the general sense. This is where like God spoke. And, and, if, and I need you to know this. If I hear from the Lord, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what he's asked. I will do it. That is how I live. Ask my wife, unfortunately. Because <laughs> sometimes it's like, you just had a new baby. We're selling our house and giving the money away. That's what he'll ask. Okay, let's go. We're going to do it. This is from the Lord. He, we've ha- we have a history of this. And I met with Jesus and he's like, I want you to go to Exodus. So I went to Exodus 33. I felt like God said, go here. And I read this story. God says to the Israelites, you're going to go into the promised land, but my presence is going to, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses begins to debate. He says, you have been telling me to lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. It's like Moses is bartering. I need you. I I was literally having this dialogue with God. And then he says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with us and with me and with your people unless you go with them? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And I heard so clearly God say, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. And I'm like, great, I'm good. That's all I needed. He's like, now go to Acts 10. I'm like, okay, what else do you have to show me? And I go to Acts 10 and I'm really confused because Acts 10 is this guy, Cornelius, who has this, this encounter with an angel that says, I, you know, your offerings, you've been faithful to God, but you got to go to this other place and talk to this guy named Peter. So he sends his servants to, to find Peter. And then there's Peter who's waiting for his meal to be made and he's on top of a, a rooftop and he has this vision. And in this vision, this, he sees this sheet come down with all these unclean animals. And, and God says to him, don't call what I've made unclean. And, and so he's really confused. And then, um, and then what, so he has this encounter. He's like, I don't know what's going on. And then he gets a knock on the door and there's these Gentiles. Now, if you're a Jew, you don't let Gentiles in your home, let alone the gate or the courtyard, because that would be a mark for you that you were unclean. And so, so Peter um, has this dream about not let, calling something unclean, and then he, he welcomes in these people. They stay with him. They tell him about their servant who had this vision. So he goes, he goes to Cornelius' house. He become, he's welcome into a Gentile home. You would never do this in a million years. This is the last place you would go as a Jew. And he's like, what's going on? I had this dream, but now I'm changing my lifestyle because of a dream. And then he preaches the gospel and it says this in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on them, all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter says, surely no one can stand in the way of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them a few days. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of the uncircumcised men and ate with them. And starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I love, uh, we're gonna finish this text. And it's, oh, um, he, he has to, in the, the top of that passage, it says that, that Jesus has, had to, or Peter had to give an account for his activity. He had to explain this crazy thing to the apostles who were all Jewish. And it's the beginning of the Gentile mission. And if it wasn't for a dream and a guy named Cornelius and the audacity to break every tradition, every book, every idea that he grew up with, Everything inside of him has to be, he has to disobey this thing in order to be faithful. Because of that moment, we are all here. Unless you're Jewish, you're, you're cool. But the rest of us, us Gentiles, we are here because of that moment. That this was an apostolic expansion of the church. Apostolic, a sent one going on mission to expand God's vision for all people to be saved. And that's when the Lord said to me, this won't make sense if you're thinking pastorally. This is about missional apostolic expansion. What I'm doing is for the outsider, the lost, and the broken. This will produce more fruit than you can ever imagine. So for me, I heard this from the Lord, and I stopped thinking as a pastor, and I started thinking as a missionary. I stopped thinking as a pastor. I started thinking as an apostle, a sent one. Our new location is in Peter's Landing at Sunset Beach. It's on PCH. It's Peter's Landing next to Golden Road, Beals, Mother's Market, Starbucks. It's in, a, it's in a retail space. It was already a church. It's been used as a church. That's why it has a CUP. It's been renovated. We're going to have tons of parking. It's across the street from the beach. Just saying amen to that. It's the church doors will open up to a marina. It's very different than right here. Yeah. <laughs> it's very different, which I want to talk about in a second. But we're, we're moving to Sunset Beach, and you're like, Sunset Beach, really? Is that really going to happen? <laughs> yes. Now, I want to show you a couple of maps, because as we were discerning, we we're like, what's going on? Here's the first map. This is where we are as a community. Uh, you can't see it, but that says Franklin Long Beach. Okay, so that's Long Beach outlined. But here's a picture of where people at Call the Garden Home are coming from. I want you to see all those cities are actually people and house churches and leaders. So just take a look real quick. That green in the middle is Long Beach. But, but this isn't including everyone. In fact, this is a, because we have people coming from Riverside. God bless you. Um, we have people coming further up in Los Angeles area. But these, this is, these are people, Lake Forest, Newport Beach, Huntington Beach, Sunset, Garden Grove. These are all the, the addresses of leaders, people that are coming to our community. So what started as like a neighborhood has grown beyond that. And that's nothing, we can't, we can't stop that. We can't change that. We, can't, uh, we, we have to embrace that reality. Even online, people are watching from all over. We still have thousands of people that listen in on, online. And so here's where we're going to be moving. Check this out. 
So that's our new location. It's about seven and a half miles from the here down PCH. And so this is, this is what we're going to do. So timeline, it looks like tomorrow morning, um, we're going we're gonna to officially docu-sign the, and give our first month's rent. That's happening tomorrow morning. So to the king. But our story has been one of obedience, and we choose to follow God wherever he leads us, no matter the cost, no matter the risk. And so what I want to say to you with confidence is this is God's journey for us. This isn't Darren and Alex. This isn't the elders. This isn't, this isn't some strategy we have. This is literally wrestling and, and surrendering. And I want, I want you to see that. I want you to see the history. I want you to know the details of all of the decisions because our values, our theology, our ideas, our hopes all have to be surrendered to God. Some of you walk to church and it's gonna cost you more than walking. Some of you, this is close, close to home and you're excited. This is gonna be a sacrifice for so many of us. And some of you are like, wait, what about Long Beach? And the answer to that is we're not leaving Long Beach, we're moving our, our gathering on Sunday, but our vision is the same wherever you are, as it is in heaven. And in fact, what I want to say is because of this, the last four months, because we've been discerning this, we have had to reestablish our convictions as a missional presence here. And we've already been in the talks with Franklin, letting them know that there, this could be on the horizon. And we are, we are making uh, important decisions about making sure we hire a local reach person, that we serve as a church in this school. So there are things we're envisioning. Can I tell you something? Through this process, Pastor John has been in discussion with the, the um, I think the principal. But what we realize is that this has been a great venue for us for nine years, and we're so grateful, but we've looked for the last several years at other schools. But we couldn't go to other schools because the schools have a, a, are funded for a, a, um, a theater department, and so they use their theater. The reason we get to do this is because they don't have funding for theater, which is heartbreaking. We store everything here. It's never been touched for nine years. For nine years, this theater is only used for mostly detention. And so we found out the history of this place. This used to have an insane talent show and a creative arts program. In fact, over 50 years ago, a Grammy award-winning artist, Thelma Houston, recorded from this stage an album. And so we're in talks of what would it look like to bring that back here, to be a part of a legacy that's not about an, a, a gathering for Sunday, but actually doing something more for the school because we're gone. We're also, uh, Mike Houswell, who I saw serving in kids, he's one of our leaders here. I saw him bring in the kids. He's, uh, he's the soccer coach, the men's soccer coach at Cal State University, Los Angeles. He's starting, he's been working on it for months. He's starting a free soccer clinic for after school for this school. So we're gonna have that. If you're interested in that, you can email us. We still have Wildlife Meeting here, which is a ministry to middle schools that's similar to Young Life. And we're going to continue to reach kids with the gospel and care for them here. We aren't leaving Long Beach. We're going to continue to do what we've always done. Our house churches are here. We have missional presence here. We're asking our house churches in the city to think creatively as a missional presence. We're just going to continue to do what we're doing. We know some of you don't have transportation needs, and we're going to fundraise for a, a car, a van, a bus, depending on your generosity, to make sure that there's a stop. We're going to pick people up that don't have a ride. We're going to drive you to our location. We're committed. Are you guys good with that? All right, a couple more things and we'll close. 
I feel like I'm, I'm going too fast. Um, how can you help? Well, I want you to pray. Obviously, you're going to have to process change. Change is a form of loss, and you're going to need to grieve loss, period. I've been grieving it for four months. And uh, there are things I do not want to go to Orange County again. I'm, I'm being serious. This is, my wife and I talk about this all the time. There's been a feud between Seal Beach and Long Beach for a long time, and I've been part of that feud. I've been, I've been stirring the heat, you know, throwing out memes online, which is what you do apparently to create disunity. So anyways, um, how you throw uh, over government in general. But anyways, moving on. <clears throat> Would you pray? Would you pray with us and discern what this means? Second, would you give? Um, I want you to give beyond your tithes and offerings. We need your tithes and offerings for our general budget. But we committed to this project. What, we, what we've uh, recognized is that we need to raise $400,000 of one-time gifts. This is for re- renovation, audiovisual, furnishings. This is for the chairs, the, everything we're going to need. Only $400,000. Can I tell you something? That we have already raised $302,000. Before you've heard... $302,000. This is above and beyond tithes and offerings. But go back to the last slide. We also will need $20,000 a month of increased giving for the next two years. This is, this is going to increase our budget. Um, and what we know is in order to make this happen, we need to, we need to ask you to give above and beyond what you're giving $20,000 more a month to provide for the increased budget which is, you know, all the increased rent, increased utilities, increased staffing. We're going to go to two services as soon as we we move in. There's all these things we're going to need, and it's going to be dependent on your um, generosity. We're asking for two years because we feel like we're going to grow significantly when we move. It will just, we believe that we'll grow into this budget, and after two years, we'll be able to afford it in our general tithes and offerings. So what we're asking for you to do is to sacrifice um, I know some of you tithe, and thank you for your generosity. I, I am so grateful for you being a generous church. I'm just asking you to, to give above and beyond what you give. And you can go online. It's going um, right now. It's going to go live on our website. Also, we're going to pass these things out. So John and some of our staff, would you guys pass out um, this card? We're going to give you a card so you can pledge to give. We're not going to do a giant giving campaign. We're not asking for a ton. We're asking for an additional $100,000 of one-time gifts based on the 300000 that we've give, uh, already received and $20,000 a month. And so some of you are like, I absolutely want in on this. You want to be a part of what God's doing. We're going to pass this out so you can find out information. It's going to just ask you to think about pledging and giving. So there you go. Yes, the pastor's asking for money. Yep, without a doubt. I'm asking for money because we steward God's resource, you and, it's, and the resources God gives us. We've been faithful for 13 years as a community, and this is one of those opportunities I'm asking you to give to build God's house. And it's going to be L.A. County and Orange County and beyond. I believe that with all my heart. Um, so there, there's that. So that's, yeah, that's all I got for there. I'm going to end in a couple seconds, so we'll, we'll pass those out. Oh, yeah, thank you, babe, my wife. Hey, if you're here, um, normally we have the kids learning about what we're learning in the Sunday. We didn't, we didn't want that to happen from our volunteers. So parents, you have to tell your kids about this change. And if your kids are anything like my kids, any kind of change is hard. So we got, we're going to have an email of give some advice 
on how to have this conversation with the kids. We want to invite you into dreaming about what this space will look like. Um, we're so excited for what the impact it's going to have seven days a week. Um, we're going to be able to do so much. So parents, tell your kids, when will this happen? Well, we'll get the keys tomorrow. And then we have some, uh, uh, about a month and a half of, of stuff we have to do to it. Right, babe? And we're, we're praying that we start in the new year, sometime in January. We'll move. Okay? How are you guys feeling? I'm just going to feel it out. How are you feeling? Yeah. I know it's mixed feelings, and that's okay, but, but we're walking together in this. Um, and I want to let you know that we're going to also launch um, next week. We're starting our, our giving campaign for December, separate from all of this. It's for Franklin Middle School. We're partnering with them in the Christmas drive again. So you're going to hear about that. We have so many things coming up this season. Um, but this is the big news. We move in a couple of months. We'll be in a new location that's ours 24-7. And we're already envisioning what God's going to do. We're so excited. We told our leaders last Wednesday at our leadership gathering, um, and it, we, it was back and forth, to the king, to the king. Mixed bag. Uh, we're going to give you information online. You can find out more ways to give, ways to pray. We're going to have a prayer night before we move in, a prayer of dedication. Actually, we're going to do a prayer of cleansing first. We're going to cleanse that place. And then we're going to pray God's favor and glory. We're going to start a, a prayer walk around the space before we move in. Um, I want to tell this story as I, as I end. And then, and then we can pray and you can respond. If you want to write down how much you want to give and drop it in the tithe and offering boxes on your way out, we'd love that. Um, I was 20 years old when Rock Harbor Church, the church we planted out of, started a building campaign. I was a server at BJ's restaurant in Balboa, at Bel- uh, on the peninsula in Balboa. I mean, anybody been there? Uh, anyways, I, I, I did that for four years um, before I got engaged and before I started working at Rock Harbor. And I remember, because my mom taught me about generosity and giving, I remember giving every single week from my, my, uh, my tips to the, to the building um, as a 20-year-old. And I remember they had prayer tent set up. Um, and we got to go pray, and I was serving in the youth. And I remember they had work days. They, they built this warehouse, and they let anyone use a hammer. And I was one of those untrained persons that came in and helped construct the building. And I remember um, uh, one night we got to go and pray over the space and write down people we want to see to come, come to the Lord and before they painted it. It was such an incredible time. Um, it was such a significant moment. But I remember this one passage, and, and it came up in my prayer time today. And I just threw it at the end of the service, Exodus 36. Um, it's the story of God building the tabernacle. In Exodus 36, this is, this is my prayer for our church. Uh, it was the first time they gathered. And it says this in verse 2. Moses summoned Bezalel and Holiab and every skilled person to whom the Lord had given ability and who was willing to come and do the work. They're going to build the tabernacle, the, the space where they were going to worship as the people of God. They received from Moses all the offerings the Israelites had brought to carry out the work in, of constructing the sanctuary. And the people continued to bring free will offerings morning after morning. So all the skilled workers who were doing all the work on the sanctuary left what they were doing and had said to Moses, the people are bringing more than enough for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. This is my prayer for us. Can we stand? 
Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.